Hi, I'm Trevor. I'm Kyle. I'm Matt. Yeah, our guest host, Matt. Uh, you may have heard him on the previous episode. So, Kyle, it's starting to get dark and cold out. Yes, it is. Um, there's a certain movie that you always used to bring up to me that it just seemed right during like the winter months and when the sun starts getting low real early in the day. What movie is this, Kyle? What am I talking about? Oh, that would be The Thing from uh, 1982. John Carpenter's The Thing. Correct. Um... I actually I was thinking about this. I'm like, why why do I like this movie so much? And I remember one of the things was the first time I watched it was with my dad and my brother. It was like a Saturday afternoon, four o'clock. The sun's almost down. Uh, sun's, of, get, sun's getting real low. Sun's getting real low. <laughs> dead of winter, and I'm from Indiana, so it was really snowy. Mm-hmm. And we had never seen it before. And our dad, uh, who I'm finding out is a huge sci-fi, uh, is a huge sci-fi fan. I just watched Wrath of Khan too, with, or the Wrath of Khan with him, the original. Oh, how sweet. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I just remember watching it like this was really nice. Like I enjoyed the movie. Um, but I like it around the winter months just because there's all snow in this movie. It's oh, it it's, takes it's everywhere. It's it's everywhere. oppressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a bit. Um, I think the thing I like about it most still, uh, in which we can kind of contrast the 2011 one with, is the makeup effects. Absolutely, I think it's my some f- of the best of all time. Exactly, and I think that's why I hold it in such high regard. Um, we're gonna kind of jump back and forth between the. 82 and uh, 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, these days it's kind of hard to talk about the 82 one like like as a singular entity. Like there's that baggage that's like it's like talking about Total Recall, and then that asshole, Which one? The, that asshole in the back has to throw that out there. Like, oh, did you know that they remade that? <laughs> and Same t- with RoboCop. Like, oh, do you, do, are you talking about the remake? I think the Total Recall was done in 2011 as well. If I'm not mistaken. I feel like that was the era yeah. when they were trying to remake everything from childhood yeah. to... I've heard so, uh, a, a, a critic, a movie critic, who his theory is is they're just taking the top ten box office smashes from just decades before and they're like, remake it. We're just going to do it again. Well, from what I understand is it's you look at people our age now have kids. And in order to show some of these movies to your kids without them thinking it's boring and cheesy... You got to step it up, throw in some effects, clean it up, make the people prettier. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot, it's a lot of that, too, is put they're a, viewing it put where... A, put a woman, <laughs> a woman in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, because well, you look at it, it's like we're, we're in a time now where, um, you know, attention spans are a hell of a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. So not everyone's going to go with that droning baseline of the original one and the long intro of just a dog running in the snow, like... Not every kid's going to be down with that. Some of them, they just need to be thrust right into the shit Pretty and much. go. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's funny because the, the biggest difference between the 2011 and the 1982 thing, uh, to me, is the, the texture of it. Mm-hmm. Like, the 82 one, like, every shot, every, every example of lighting in the film is heavily considered and distinct. Whereas this new one, it's like everything is competent. Mm-hmm. Like everything's slick and, and actually decently well produced. It's just flat as all hell, and it just has no soul. Well, I like I said, I haven't seen the two thousand or the remake or, or re, is it a can we call it? thing too? Yeah, so, no, I, I'm damn it, I'm putting my foot down. This okay. is this has been bugging me for a really long time. So imagine you have a DVD shelf. I have one. I'm looking right at it. He does. I don't have the thing on there, unfortunately. So. Sorry. The nice, yeah. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so, the nineteen eighty two thing, the John Carpenter thing, is actually a remake of a nineteen fifty sci fi film called The Thing from Another World. 
So that right there, that's two movies that if you were a Thing fanatic, you would have on your shelf. So you'd have The Thing, but if it was alphabetized, it would be before The Thing from Another World, because it's got all those extra words. Mm -hmm. But then the 2011 The Thing is also called The Thing, (laughs) but it's not a remake. It's actually a prequel, but it bears the same title as the movie that it proceeds chronologically, but it was made 30 years after... (laughs) So when you're trying to arrange the shit on your shelf, it's like, do I, they both I have the same one. title, but this one took place before this one, but this one was made after this one. I think it's just, just enough to drive you insane. You, you take the first two, you put the oldest one first, and you put the thing, and then you take the 2011 one, and you put it in a drawer that you eventually <laughs> take to Goodwill, because you're probably going to watch it one time, and that's about it. That's fair, and actually, but I'm glad you brought up the the remake, the thing from another world, because that was one of the things that stood out to me with the prequel, was they introduced some elements from that. Yes, that I actually felt like I really enjoyed the the John Carpenter thing for not featuring mm-hmm. things like the spaceship, things like you know. We're just going to keep saying thing over and over, aren't we? So I've been calling the, the 2011 one the thing before the thing. But uh, thing two, I think, for... I think I'm going to call it thing two. Let's thing call two. it the thing two. Yeah. So my issue with thing two is it introduces things that were in the original film, thing from another world, like a spaceship, to introduce this creature. One of the things I enjoy so much about the thing is that it's a true fucking horror movie mm-hmm. that where... It doesn't give a shit about establishing where this thing came from. It doesn't give a shit what its intentions are. It gives no fucks about any of that. All it is is survive in the fucking snow and hope you don't get eaten, <laughs> you know? See, the cut I watched last night, um, yeah, uh, there is a spaceship. Yeah, there is a spaceship. And they find a spaceship. Yeah, no, there is a spaceship, but they don't really do anything with it. No. It's just there. We don't explore the ship. Okay. We see the ship. So we see the matte painting that represents the ship. Now, but we didn't have the money to actually go inside. In 2011, are we going in the ship? Oh, oh, that's, I don't even remember yeah. that. Oh yeah, we're going in. That's that's how it begins. Actually, that's yeah. how they discover the ship. Yeah. Okay. So let me. I just want to talk about something real quick before we get into the thing further. Um, I don't know if you've read it. I know you haven't. Uh, At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. I have not. No. It, it's a novella. It's very short, um, and it's it's a horror story about a team that are doing a like doing a scientific research in Antarctica, um, which was not really popular at the time because this was written like 1934. Sure. Not a, an expedition to Antarctica is an expedition. Like mm-hmm. that's you're, yeah. Chance of you coming back, you you need to make sure you write your will out before you go. It's like it was like climbing Everest, basically. Like yeah, you might come back. <laughs> I mean, chances of living past 30, you know? Um, <laughs> it's like... But reading, I'd seen the thing first, and then I read At the Mountains of Madness, and I'm like, wow, I'm, I, a lot of the imagery I'm getting from this book, I'm seeing in this film. Mm-hmm. And there's actually certain shots, like when they find the UFO, there's similar, um, they're in a helicopter when they go find the UFO. Um, something similar happens at At the Mountains of Madness, where they're actually, basically they see something out in the snow. Okay. I don't think... I can imagine that John Carpenter did read the movie, and there probably is some inspiration from that, but it I don't feel like it's supposed to be the story at the Mountains of Madness. But I, I want to ask you guys something about the creature mm. uh, in the 2011. Now, I... Thing too. I seem to remember it being kind of tentacly, like more... the I wouldn't say what the, the original thing... Oh, gosh. Oh, 
John, J- <laughs> think, think one, thing two. Think, think your Dr. Seuss. Okay. <laughs> and thing one, there, um, there is like a ropey uh, tentacle-like thing that it has. But, Sinewy, like yeah. veins almost. But like. I feel like uh, thing two, it's more squid-like. Mm, it's... I mean, it assumes a lot of different shapes, but actually... When it busts out of, the, out of the ice. It's got some squid elements, it's got some crustacean elements, it's got a lot of teeth. Yeah, so it, that's very Lovecraftian, which is what I find interesting. That's what, one of the things I noticed when I, I remember watching it, I'm like, that was kind of the creature design that he was describing in At the Mountains of Madness. Well, that's, that's like the secret genius of Thing 1, is... Like I again, I I don't know if John Carpenter was inspired by Lovecraft's writing, but and I haven't really read Lovecraft's writing, though I'm very familiar with his oeuvre. <laughs> um, the thing that I know most about Lovecraft's writing is that description is not his is not in his toolbox. He's very vague. Uh, his his terror is based on putting very vague images and concepts in your mind and letting you. You, the reader, make make those shadows into whatever shape is most terrifying to you. This will, I'm going to stop you real quick. So okay. that's exactly the problem that Lovecraft had because Lovecraft was trying to invent something, and which is one of the one of the things I like about this movie was that we're trying to make something new here, like with the makeup effects. We're trying. We've never seen anything like this. We have two pieces of meat melding like mm-hmm. like something else. Lovecraft very much had something in his mind, and he was not. It, read the Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll get like I still don't know how. Like you have to look at art descriptions. Like what does this thing actually look like? I don't think he really knew what he was probably trying, not. Yeah, trying to project. And I think that was the problem. Like, oh, he doesn't know how to describe but that, it. He that's how know. you create actual horror, though. Mm-hmm. Is you rely on the viewer or the reader, your audience, to craft the horror for themselves to make it scarier than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And that's what Thing One, that's like its masterstroke, mm-hmm. is that it puts some of the most explicit gore and makeup effects ever seen in film right up in your face, but using lighting and shadows judiciously, they frame it in exactly, they frame it exactly in the right way to make those rubber effects look as good as they possibly can. Because these, these are effects from 1982. Yes. And they look fantastic, Still. and they are put right up in front of the camera. But done in such a way that they they maximize showing you as little as they can, but getting the most effect out of it. Mm-hmm. No, my first impression of the thing was uh, actually a book on makeup effects Ooh. in our local library that I would go and it was one of those things. Actually, it was a library in our grade school, mm-hmm. and they do the shit where it's like everyone pick out a book and read for a half an hour when the teacher wanted to go smoke or whatever. <laughs> so. <laughs> This was my go-to because it was one of the only things that would keep my attention, you know, and I didn't have to read. I could just look at the pictures and the thing was like the taboo one. It was like any of the other effects were like neat and interesting. That one scared the fuck out of me and gave me nightmares. Oh, yeah. No, but it I, stuck I, I with me long one. enough where it was like on my list. So like I need to see this movie at some point in my lifetime. And it still scared the fuck out of me. Even <laughs> though I had seen all the imagery, even though like I was prepared, I was much older when I finally sat down and watched it. But I agree with you. Like that's what always has stood out to me was that the effects in that one are can't be matched, especially by Thing Two. <laughs> thing Two was was there any practical like any um, like go for it. <laughs> so funny, funny story behind that. Um, so the effects in Thing One were masterminded by Rob Bottin. Um, it's funny because I 
picked up the exact same book in the exact same library years after you did. I remember there was a photo of Rob Bottin. He looks like a lumberjack. Mm-hmm. He got like he looks like a, a heavy metal like teamster or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got a big old beard and like long flowing mane of dark hair, and he's got this shit eating grin and the uh, the spider head. Yeah, is like suspended in, yeah, in like it's that. it's lit very heavily. It's a black and white photo because it was a very old book, but it's like right up beside his shoulder, and he just has this big shit eating grin with this horrible fucking like decapitated head with legs sprouting out of it suspended beside him but rob Bottin, he's i hope they make a documentary about him because he dropped off the face of the planet at some point but he really was like a mad genius Mm -hmm. um he also did the the makeup effects for robocop so he designed the robocop suit and the the (laughs) melty man um but i guess um he had understudies working for him on the thing, thing one, and uh, Stan Winston was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Winston did the uh, the dog, one of the most important effects in the whole movie because it's the first instance of thing action we get in the whole the whole franchise, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. It's, it's really probably it's probably the most intense makeup effects in the whole movie actually, and it's done to great effect. But yeah, Stan Winston, who would later go on to basically become the next king of makeup effects and prosthetics and stuff uh did the dog but thing two was tom woodruff jr who we've talked about before in avp requiem oh um tom woodruff jr and his uh his company amalgamated dynamics also did the i think they did all the aliens from avp on or they may have done resurrection also and they did this movie called Harbinger Down that was uh, crowdfunded. Mm. And part of the, the impetus for that project was uh, Thing 2. Mm. So what happened in the making of Thing 2 was that our director, who has an unpronounceable name, <laughs> he's, he's Dutch, uh, I, and he's uh, made no other movies as far as I know. I don't know how the fuck to say <laughs> this man's name. Uh, his footprint in the world of cinema is very small. <laughs> um, he contracted them to, to do practical effects. Um, all of which can be seen in a uh, behind-the-scenes footage in the making of the movie, and they're all actually pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, the studio hit the panic button and decided to paint over the practical effects with CGI. Mm. So nearly every effects sequence in Thing Two was actually done mostly practical, but then painted over. So they could have almost made a good movie. They with- maybe could have salvaged oh. it somewhat. Actually, it would have been pretty good because that was one of my biggest issues. Is every time the damn thing shows up, it turns into Resident Evil. Yeah, yeah. even the, like the the flesh tones look weird. It looks like I remember. I watching... don't know if it's like Norwegian skin or something, but they're, they're like oddly pink and purple. <laughs> like I, I noticed that you're almost watching. It, it, t- it took me out of it, and that's one of the things I remember is when it, it pops up out of the ice when you're that's when right. You're first seeing it. I remember watching it like well. It just looked shitty. Like, it didn't even look like it was in the same movie. Well, again, another thing about the production notes for Thing 2 is that uh, it's it's bug form, I call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first form it takes, which they do a good job of never explaining if that's how it's actually, like, it's actual form. Mm -hmm. I don't don't think of the Thing as actually having a, like, a form. I think of it as, like, a bacteria or a virus or something. Anyway, the bug was never actually supposed to be on screen. It was supposed to be shown in silhouette. See, that was like my biggest criticism of Thing 2. Like, I already took... 
I already have an issue with it being a prequel that doesn't do anything. Yeah. Because it's essentially <laughs> a remake in a lot of ways. Like, mm, yeah. mm. there's too many sequences that just mirror famous sequences that well, even occur the cast. In... I don't believe like, you. White guy with beard with black friend? I don't believe In a Norwegian camp? I don't and, believe And it. he's the pilot? I don't believe it's a prequel. I think you're still lying to me. <laughs> it's a remake. I mean, really, but, like, one of my biggest criticisms outside the effects, because the effects was the biggest thing that took me out of it, but also I felt like it was trying to check off all these things that were just not necessary to make a great horror film. Going back, like, you're right, maybe there was a sequence where they show a ship in, in the John Carpenter thing, yeah, mm-hmm. they do. but it's such an afterthought thing that... Versus, I've forgotten about it. It's, it, like, two shots. Yeah, yeah versus... in. Thing two, like, it's the end climax is the thing trying to get in its ship and do God knows what. Well, Why does this thing need to even, like, escape? Why does it care? Like, part of the scariest part of the John Carpenter was you really don't know what its intent is and you don't have time to think about it again because you're stuck in this fucked up, like, yeah. horrible ice fortress and, you know, you're not... They don't have time to even think that far ahead. Mm-hmm. Or even the way the, the, the thing... Like how it actually takes over people like you have to, if you're gonna include the UFO in there you're gonna have to explain well how do these things actually fly this thing because this right. is a really odd creature well I think um, I think John Carpenter mentioned like again he was very wise to keep everything vague and so like the canon of the thing movie is very vague intentionally so and it makes it better mm-hmm. um, one theory was that it wasn't the thing's ship it was someone else's thinking, ship, yeah. and the thing was on the ship, and they crashed it intentionally to try to kill it. Again, like, that's the natural thing you do if you're making a sequel. You have to, you know, look at, like, Predator 2 versus the original Predator, or first Predator, you don't know much about it, and Predator 2, they start to flush out the character a bit. And it gets and less help. interesting. And yeah, <laughs> once you add canon, and then if you add too much canon, then you can't do anything anymore, because now you're trapped. And yeah. And that's what's fucked. You create expectations from the audience. Or you just can't change anything up because now all of a sudden a predator goes off and just becomes like a violent, crazed madman killing anything. Like, you know, there's going to be that neckbeard guy who stands up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you look at, like, this one, it's like, okay, like, okay. They, they had an element, like you said, where you actually see the thing clear as day. Yeah. That was one of the parts. It's like, you had to have the true reveal. What does this creature look like? We've never actually seen it in the original. That's, yeah. That we never, and, we well, don't know what And that's it why it is. sticks with you, because yeah. you have no fucking idea. It can be anything. It yeah. can be anyone. It's like, a parasite or a virus that just takes over, more well, or less. Structurally, like, a major difference between these two movies is that the, the thing won is a very intensely slow burn Mm -hmm. like we don't get anything action for at least a half hour like we get a lot of really tense shots of that dog wandering around and scoping out the whole camp Mm. the norwegian camp the exploration of it pretty much everything that happened that everything that we're shown in thing two which for no real reason we basically what i'm trying to say is in thing one we see the norwegian camp we see the aftermath Mm -hmm. And it's so much more effective for it because we only see what happened. We only see the aftermath. We don't see how everything came together. And then thing two, part of its weakness is that they try to, their attention to detail was a little too great, I think, to the point that like shackled them to doing certain odd little things like uh, the fire axe in the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a scene where Joel Edgerton uh, has a little thing crawl on the wall and he freaks out and he hits it with an axe 
And then when they're leaving the room, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mm. (laughs) She's very distracting. Um, She tells him, no, leave it. And the only reason she tells him that is because we as viewers of Thing 1 knew that there was a fire axe in the wall because we walked through the camp and we saw that. Did she break the fourth wall? (laughs) Yeah, I I half expected her to like leave the the room and then like come back and be like, you caught that, right? (laughs) That's funny because I just watched it and I totally had no idea. I was just like, that's fucking stupid. Why didn't you take the axe? Yeah, why didn't you take the axe? And then he has what looks like a a bulkhead or something afterwards. I don't know what it was, but it was pointy and wooden. Um, Why would I leave the axe? Maybe it was like a hockey stick or something. But yeah, and then uh, the radio operator with the slit wrists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. That was something that we saw in Thing 1 that we needed to leave someone alive at the end of Thing 2 just to, you know, just for the neckbeards in the audience who would give a shit about that. Did either of you guys play the video game that I, came out in between? I watched you play it, and I remember it was supposed to be canon when it came out. Like you were supposed to watch the video game or play the video game in order to understand the next so movie. So the, the event video of the game, video game was supposed to directly connect to the movie. It was the sequel movie. to the John Carpenter thing, and actually, the reason I hated that game was because in the first five minutes, you find out what happened oh, at the very end yeah. of the thing between you the two. You don't do that. <laughs> and All once the balls the. Balls to yeah, do and once that like happened, that. it was like, why am I playing now? Because yeah. now it's just an excuse to have these fucking creatures come at me and fucking do all their stupid shit. It was a broken game. Like, they had these <laughs> elements where it was, like, supposed to be cool. You can do the blood test, the guys who follow you around. But, like, if they end up off camera at all, they instantly turn into the thing anyway. So it's like, why fucking bother? Yeah. Like, John Carpenter did all, something that's very difficult, and that's to have a good ending to a horror movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's part of his uh, end of the world trilogy. Um, there's that. There's uh, I can't remember the other two, but like he made three movies that are apocalyptic. Um, uh, in the mouth of madness. Oh, uh, heavily inspired oh, by dude. Lovecraft was one of them. I is that Sam? Is that the Sam Neill one? Yes. I tried watching it, man. It's. It's, it's not from easy. the mid nineties. I thought it was. I thought it was the Serpent in the Rainbow. I'm like, oh, I've, I've been excited to watch this, and like, oh, oh that, that no, was that's Wes Bill Craven. Pa- that was best. Uh, yeah. Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Lone Star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just having that reveal like that just ruined that game for me. I was like, I, there's no reason for me to play anymore. Didn't the Matrix? Uh, didn't they do that with the Matrix movies as well? Wasn't there like cartoons and um, video games? You yeah, there's play? a video game yeah, that had video game. filmed sequences with the actors that yeah. were supposed to. I remember playing that video game. You play as Jada Pinkett Smith. Right. You, I we played it. We I think we rented it and we tried to figure it out. We're like, I have no idea what to do in this game. Yeah. <laughs> no clue. Well, that's what happens when you you map combat controls to the right stick. And so, but oh, um, speaking of. Movie franchises ruined by their video games. Um, Colonial Marines. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aliens, Colonial Marines. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that at some point, I guess. But um, that was another. That was another film that uh, had a game that was actually regarded by the studio as canon. So Hicks being alive at, in Alien Three and witnessing Ripley oh, no. jump Hicks into the, the, the yeah Hicks is dead. Hicks is dead. Hicks was impaled by <laughs> by his his uh, tank or whatever. So um, I had you watch Doss Boot not too long ago. Yes, um, you did. I'm glad you actually watched that. Three nearly three and a half hours long. Yeah. Um, I think I've rented it three different so times. <laughs> <just> <laughs> got through it for that reason. Um, 
One thing I noticed that I like in movies, I liked in Das Boot. There's something about living in close quarters. Ooh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. There's something about like being on a spaceship. Like I really like Prometheus because we're, I don't know, there's something that looks cozy about being the captain of the ship. Just kind of well, cozy. If you're Idris Elba, you're yeah. cruising around space, you're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He's you're the, pretty secure with yourself. He's the other Han Solo. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, you get that you you get that vibe from this. Like you see Kurt Russell in the beginning. By the way, that's my my only problem with this movie is this one shot with Kurt Russell um, when he's playing chess and he's like, "Oh, old girl's getting rusty," and he's got a, a bottle of scotch. He's drinking. He loses, and he pours the scotch down the, and ruins it. I'm like. First of all, <laughs> you're in Antarctica. Supplies do not come that frequently. And this is a computer, so you just destroyed a computer. Also, you just wasted your your scotch, which would be very precious to you uh, in Antarctica. Yeah. That was the only problem I had with this movie. It was like, really? Oh, but that lion, though. Cheating bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about the, the construction of the cat. Um, major difference between thing one and thing two. Thing one, our, our guys are like blue collar. Mm-hmm, very much. Um, there, there are a couple white collar fellows, but they're they're all very rugged. They look, they're like oil rig workers. Basically, I was just gonna say they're like the Armageddon guys. Yeah, they're, they're like the not Armageddon. trying to be funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're they they they're kind of rugged, and you can tell that they've been in close quarters for maybe a little too long. So we spend we spend time actually being introduced to each character and what their role is within this with this group. Yeah. Um, do we really do that in 2011? Because I don't no. remember doing that. Um, they tried something different with 2011 with Thing 2. Um, they had an element where half or more than half of the camp is Norwegian. Yes. And then some elements of it that. are American. And it creates a language barrier and it creates like a tribalism among the group that adds to the tension, which I thought was kind of effective, but it strips the Norwegians down to just them and us as opposed to individual characters. In fact, I thought one of the most well-defined Norwegian guy in the camp was the one who couldn't speak English. He's giant, uh, I believe it's Giant Spain from uh, Game of Thrones. Is it the big red beard? No, he's so He's in it too. Yeah. He stands out because he's just a naturally charismatic yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, but I mean, he's got the... You're talking about Lars. Yeah, the Lars, guy who doesn't speak any English. And, and he, he's just like a, a giant bear man that yeah, has oh, a okay. flamethrower most of the movie. Oh, he's that guy? And he stands out because of that, though. And he's, he's very loyal to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, at least at the halfway point and onward. Um, one of the worst elements of the casting in Thing 2, to me, was uh, the Doctor. Who? That was fucking stupid. Well, you... Go ahead, sorry. So, there, the there's, a, there's a thing that you do when you're writing a, a movie. If there's monsters in your movie, there's certain people that you cast because they look a certain way and they project a certain image. And there's that, but then there's taking it too far. Where the the first shot we see this fucker in, it's like <laughs> this guy's this guy's evil. Like I know he's evil, and sure enough, they do the hackneyed thing where they make him into the final thing. Yeah, <laughs> he he kind of looks like an ugly, fucked up Daniel Craig. Yeah, like but he's... the second he walks into the frame, I'm like, he's, he's evil. Bad. Yeah, and like, he's <laughs> also the only character that's actually kind of sexist. Yeah, because no. that's one of the things I'd say the thing too did well with like, and usually I'm kind of like annoyed when it's like, okay, let's add these characters to broaden our audience. You know, where the original thing is all a bunch of white dudes for the most part stuck I was in the actually, snow. I was actually gonna, I was saying like, I think the diversity in 
thing was actually pretty good. Yeah. It was considering considering the setting. We it, are I, I'm comparing the yeah, two. Yeah, and I think it was, I think it was great, especially considering it's a 1982 film. Exactly. Keith, I'm talking Keith when David. You, Keith my David. Boy. I was like, <laughs> yeah. But then when you compare it to the 2011 one, it's like all of a sudden we had women, and it's like okay. But the way they did it was, she's an expert in her field. Of course, they're going to drive her out because they just found this alien creature. Mm. Okay. And everyone respects her, minus the one asshole. Yeah. And, well, and that was another one where it's kind of the emphasis, like, okay, he's the prick. Like, it was really know. weird because, like, structurally, the thing one, we start off with the dog. And mm-hmm. there's this weird tension because we have a helicopter chasing this dog. We don't know what's going on. It's immediately a horror film. Mm-hmm. Thing two, though, it starts out like Jurassic Park. We even mm-hmm. have like a whimsical helicopter ride to the site and everything. It, it has like this sense of adventure <laughs> to it. So it's it's Yahoo. like it feels yeah. <laughs> Yahoo. It's <laughs> um, true. Yeah. It it feels like a more I guess like everything about Thing Two feels more like a conventional horror film, where like there's even scenes of the monster like stalking around the camp and like going after people and stuff. Whereas Thing One, it ambushes them. But we never really see it moving around the camp. It's just, it pops out when it pops out, and then it's gone. Or it's dead. Um, I want to talk about the scarier elements, like the actual, like, how we're using the makeup effects to actually make something scary. And there's one that stood out this last time I watched that I want to bring up. But before I do that, I want to ask you about uh, the music, because you've Mm. actually gotten me listening to the score a bit more. Good for you. Um, I think it's really important. I I, I see where you're coming from now. And uh, the... The composer for this was in Ennio uh, Morricone. Correct. Uh, he did the music for Hateful Eight and The Untouchables. Those were the two noteworthy. Untouchables. He's a and he he's, did. He's, he's, he's like, done the good, the bad, and the, the ugly. These yeah. are the All things that he was. He's one of the greatest composers to ever live. <laughs> these are the two that I knew. He is a legend. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm just saying, it's really good. And um, this was one of the times it actually stood out. Orca. Before. Is one of my favorite soundtracks. Orca. It's not a very good movie, but I love the music from that movie. It's so mm. beautiful. But um, funny you should mention that. Um, this movie got a uh, thing one. Mm-hmm. Got a Razzie for its score. Are you kidding me? I'm not. <laughs> People, like the movie was not well reviewed, and the score in particular got a Razzie. Well, it's got Kurt Russell. I mean, that's not what you want to see, Kurt Russell. I, I think just maybe the critics weren't ready for that level. Because like, mm. when you think of jumping oh, yeah. levels in terms right. of like explicit makeup effects and gore, it's ahead of its time. It's like I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Like because, like you said, some of these images are things that you need to be a little off kilter to just imagine, let alone physically craft. Yeah. Like physically, not not dream up in your computer or whatever or draw on a piece of paper but like sculpt with clay and rubber and stuff um but yeah the score matt mentioned that that dum, 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 that that theme is haunting and beautiful it's and very terrifying <laughs> and i think it's brilliant um they call back to it mostly just at the end of thing two. It, it's in the credits yeah. which is which bleeds into the really the, it's, it's the, the whole it's the rogue one of of prequel literally is <laughs> it, it, it's, it's rogue one in the <laughs> credits where it shows lars actually there's a scene where you thought he got killed and in actuality he was attacked and they just took his a flamethrower someone phone. needed to live yeah so <laughs> at the end it shows that he survived and a helicopter comes back and he runs out to it because a dog takes off running and then he t- yells at the helicopter pilot, we need to go kill that dog. Oh, I remember that. And now. that's why the oh, beginning okay. of the thing. So it, it 
bleeds directly into the beginning of Rogue the, One did it better. But if you <laughs> remove that part, like it's literal, it could just be a sequel, yeah, and Lars, you would Lars, be none the wiser. That just that. Lars, Lars rolls up with a red lightsaber and starts <laughs> starts hacking up things in the in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that, that was like one of those little details that's like, I don't know if I needed that. Because because even those scenes, um, there's a there's a front credits to the movie mm-hmm. where it keeps continually cutting back and forth between credits and imagery. But before that, the last shot is Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the Arctic cat or whatever, just sighing. And yeah. it, we don't even know what fuck happened to her. I'm guessing yeah. she froze to death. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Uh, Maybe they were planning on making a thing three where she rolls up to the camp and is like, hey, Kurt Russell and Keith David, I'm here to save you. Well, yeah, I mean, they said there was like a Russian camp not too far yeah. from there. So Well, the the idea that John Carpenter, well, actually, I think this was the Dutch guy who came up with this, was uh, the idea was that the spaceship did not belong to the thing. It belonged to a separate alien species that got infested with the thing and in desperation crashed their ship to try to kill themselves and the thing and eradicate the threat. And then that leads to the Norwegian camp situation, which leads to the American camp situation. So the idea is it's this endless cycle of people trying to exterminate this thing that can't ever completely be stamped out. I think that's why Wilford Brimley was going nuts. <laughs> it wanted to be us. I think. I think that. Like, I was watching him. Like, what's he? What's he melting down for? I'm like, I think uh, he realizes what's happening. He's like, we have to stop this thing, and we cannot let anybody come find us. No, right. I, I actually really liked his character. Um, mm-hmm. thing two kind of ruined him for me though, because because of that symmetry, mm-hmm. that, that obnoxious fucking symmetry, where it's like, hey, we had a doctor guy go nuts in thing one. We should have that happen in Thing 2 also. It's like, no, you shouldn't. So No, you shouldn't have a white-bearded guy with his black buddy who happens to be a helicopter pilot also be in a separate camp next door. That's so That's so convenient. So what does Doctor 2 bring to the table in this? Does he have that... He's, he's just evil. He's the prick that... It's the classic mad scientist. Like He's the okay. prick that wants to oh, take the okay, sample okay. of the tissue, and then he's sense. the one that refuses to let them like just kill it initially. Mm-hmm. He wants to like he wants to study preserve it. it. He, he wants, wants to clean study it. it. He wants to do the yeah examination on like, it. After I want to make money off of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. If he was serious about that, he wouldn't have brought in an American with him. He's Paul Reiser. He would have found alien somebody. Too. He would have found yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a Paul Reiser. He needed he needed a poofy vest. <laughs> he needed his plaid and his poofy vest. His sports jacket rolled up. Doing well, he does probably. have a Burke moment where he, um, during probably, I want to say it's the best thing sequence in thing two. It's when the the face fused sequence. Mm-hmm. I mean that was creative. And, again, and, it, and again though that 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 was in service to the first film uh, well, because we did have a face fused corpse that needed to get needed to show up somehow. Well, and you also had the like one of the most tense scenes. From the thing is when they're doing the blood tests, mm-hmm. and that to me I think is brilliant. I love the pacing of it. I love the tension. I love how when it gets discovered, it's just out of nowhere. Like it's literally like it, they're just doing the thing, and all of a sudden, just boom! Like yeah, yeah, you know. And this they do the oh they're not doing the blood test, but they're doing oh if you have fillings, you can. Uh, yeah, we know that you're not the thing. Yeah, the idea is it it can this alien can replicate you completely but only your organic material. So mm. if you have any foreign substances like metal fillings or one guy has a titanium thing oh, yeah. plate in his knee that it can't replicate. Who has the nose ring and thing in the thing? 
I th- I was watching it this time. I think somebody had a nose ring, if I'm not um, mistaken. I think it was one. It, it's a funny little detail. Keith David happens to have an earring that, Keith. and that's actually a big part of the the thing too. That's how uh, yeah. at the very end, yeah. Joel Joel Edgerton gets figured out by that. At the but, very end, yeah, it's her and him, and clearly, clearly he has an earring the whole movie, and she realizes he doesn't have an yeah. anymore. It was so. just something that they overlooked in the script for the '82 one, mm. but I don't think it hurts it at all. <laughs> um. The one of my one of my favorite shots going back now and watching it. Um, I forget the character. He's the one that gets shot uh, on it oh, by the helicopter. The dog handler guy. No, no, no. That um, that's the one that. Uh, oh, are you talking about the Norwegian guy? From the original one. Yeah. He gets. He's the one that gets shot on accident by the helicopter pilot, and he's the one that's kind of grumpy. He's the one mm. that yells at the cook like, "Hey, turn that shit down. I'm trying to sleep here." But he's the one that is starting to turn. They're like, where'd he go? And they go outside, and he's the one that's on his knees. Oh, right. and, the bald yeah. guy. Yeah, and it's, there's, it's just so subtle. Like, they have the long hand that hasn't quite formed into the human, and him screaming. Yeah, that, yep. that sound is pretty yeah. pretty intense. I, I was um, The scariest part, I thought, before was the one that kept me like wanting to watch this movie is when um, Wilford Brimley is uh, he is <laughs> quarantined um, I still think it's funny when they go to talk to him he's, dr- he's eating the I'm tomato soup I'm ready to come inside I'm ready now. to come inside he's got a I'm, noose I'm alright now I'm ready to come in <laughs> he's got a noose I'm like it's still funny um, he's great in that movie it's, he's really good but the one guy is like kind of looking for him and he sees him building the UFO down there Oh, and the the yeah. hand scene, and it's not even the makeup effects that happen. It's actually him just coming out yeah. of nowhere and doing it. Mm-hmm. There's also a scene where right. somebody passes by. It's just in silhouette, just shadow, and that that musical sting happens. Yeah. It's straight out of Halloween. I mean, same director. Yeah. He he he, can he, know, he knows his way around that shit. He can do that. He's and like it's that. it's very intense. But that brings us to the behavior of the thing, and this is my biggest issue with thing two. Okay. Um, so that sequence when Wilford Brimley, um, I always think of the guy as a, as a Roosevelt or something, <laughs> the, the guy with the revolver, he's basically supposed to be the head of the camp mm-hmm. in, in thing one. I don't know why I think of him as a Roosevelt or something, but, but anyway, he gets, uh, Wilford Brimley puts his hand inside of his face through his mouth yeah. mm-hmm. and he's completely expressionless when he's doing it, which tips you off to, you know, the emotional investment that this alien creature has in Doing horrible things to people. Yes. Um, we don't get that in Thing 2. See, that that attack sequence is done entirely in silence. Mm-hmm. It, it that's what makes it scary, actually, is that it's completely silent. It's it's not it's not stealthy in an intentional way. It's just utilitarian. It just it's yeah. like this is how it gets done. Whereas Thing 2, every fucking time this thing shows up, it's screaming and smashing shit, and it makes really? a big scene... Yeah, it's it, very it makes obvious. no effort to take advantage of its absolutely perfect camouflage. Yeah. So the blood test. Mm-hmm. The reason why the thing erupted in chaos and, and just anger and trying to kill them in that moment was because it knew it was... Yeah, it, it was, was, it was, it was made. Yeah. It had to defend itself. Uh, in Thing 2, we have the filling checking sequence. And then one of our Norwegian guys just decides to thing out. And go nuts and attack a room of like a half dozen armed people. It's not the th- that is not smart. No. <laughs> if I recall too, though, like that doesn't even happen until like after the Americans stumble in. And this is like... this is like the last quarter of the movie. Yeah, and I, I will give it this: it is a it is a well choreographed sequence. 
Like, it is a pretty good effect sequence. I mean, bad effects, but, like, good intensity. Like, mm -hmm. I like what they did in that scene. It's well choreographed. But what leads to it is they're just carrying their buddy who's injured because there was an explosion after the Americans fucked things up. And then his arm falls off, and he right. just things out. Yeah. And he's not even found out. They don't know he's the thing. It just decides to just start a riot. <laughs> and then uh, the, the lady... Mm -hmm. Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, gets cornered by the only other woman in the camp. They have a, like a pretty good like solidarity moment where it's like, oh, we, we're in this together. Like mm -hmm. I'll help you. You're because this is this this is a point in the movie where Mary Elizabeth Winstead is trying in vain to convince people of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So she and this lady go in a back room, and then from behind her, this lady things the fuck out and starts smashing shit. And it's like you're alone yeah. with a small woman. Just you could just hug. Just, yeah, just put, put your fingers. Just in her put face. your fingers in her <laughs> face. Be real quiet about it, and you're good. <laughs> but no, it's got a thing out and turn into a mouth thing, and like, and then it like, it's the stupidest fucking shot. It charges down the hallway after her, and the design of this is creative, but stupid looking because her head is like, like hanging off of its side, yeah. and then it just like impales this random passerby for no real reason. Just because he wanders into its path, and this thing is, like, 80% mouth by the time it gets to <laughs> It also, like, the different... They figure shit out way too fast in Thing 2. Like, that's one of the annoying parts of it, is, like, they figure out almost immediately that you can burn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know, yeah. It doesn't like fire. They find out almost immediately, oh, it can hide by replicating each other. Like, they figure out the filling thing, like, almost instantly. Like, it's not like in... The thing where it's this long, kind of drawn out part where they're realizing, oh, it can be any of us. Yeah. Like, and that's the terrifying component of it. In thing two, it's just like, okay, it's bad. Let's burn it. Oh, yeah. it doesn't like fire. Okay, we're set. I want to ask you guys about set design. Uh -huh. um, so I really like the set design on thing one, obviously. Um, <laughs> I really like what the. the the base. I really like what they've done with the base. It looks legit. I don't know. It if has it... a wonderful sense of geography to it. Like I... You you feel you know where things are in relation to each other by the time you get to the end of the movie. And, and there's some good shots that like we get one. I think we're like halfway down the landing, so you see somebody looking. The camera's looking down, and then it looks up to the top where mm -hmm. everybody else is. Um, it never really feels like a set. It feels like you're exactly. in camp. But this was a set because I just I read uh, just a little uh, tagline. Like 30 years after production, these two guys found it, actually. <laughs> yeah, they found it. Uh, That's awesome. I want to say it was in Canada, I think, is where they found it. I'm not sure where exactly it was. Um, but I, the one thing that stood out to me watching it this time was the rec room is awesome. <laughs> like, really took it. It's true. Yeah. You got dudes drinking beer, playing cards. You got jukebox, pool table, mini bar, it's an uh, arcade pinball, machine in there too. Pinball machine. Yeah. And you, it, it feels real. Like it just, it just feels real. What, what was the set design like on this one? Um, comparable. They actually have a big sequence in like a rec room area where they're yeah. all drinking and. Yeah, playing I think it's pool even. And... I think it's even bougier actually. Is yeah, it really? Yeah, bar, like, like with a bar and everything, and like a lot of liquor. <laughs> yeah, but it's. It doesn't have that same sense of dread. Like, in the thing, like, I think you nailed it when it's just describing just kind of like, it's nothing but snow. Mm. Like, there's so many sequences, you realize how isolated these guys really are. Extremely isolated. And that's like, again, adds to the terrifying element of it, where it's that sense of like, even if you find a way to radio for help, they're not going to be here for a, a long, long time. time. I think that calls back to the, 
the lighting and the texture because the lighting in in thing one is masterful mm. I, um I, I looked it up um sometimes i do this not always but dean kundi to the cinematography zemeckis spielberg john carpenter he's one of the greats like he's worked with the best and given them the best um, I, I would just argue too though the pacing it's the yeah. different era of filmmaking too where like like you mentioned das boot and it's like that's from an even older era where like you know it's three and a half hour long movie but sometimes it's important to have those long drawn out shots that kind mm-hmm. of show mundane behavior or just show i mean just I mean, the tension before the dog sequence and the thing, mm, yeah. because it's so long for it to actually come at you. Mm-hmm. Or the blood test, that's why it jumps at you, because it takes so long for them to get to it. And it's so slow, each each vial, versus in thing two, it's literally, okay, open your mouth. All right, you're good. <laughs> Next. All right, you're good. Well, one thing about Das Boot is you, it's a movie that's super long, but you don't really realize it until you realize you have to pee, and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you were only two hours in. I, I didn't realize it. And uh, I actually, uh, one of the movies I'd like to do is The Ninth Gate, uh, which is around two hours, it's over two hours long. Um, and really, honestly, not a lot happens in that movie, but you don't really feel the time pass. And it, the same with The Thing, it's not long, it's not mm-hmm. super long, but you don't feel the time pass. Whereas I'm assuming in thing 2011, you could kind of like, okay, let's kind of speed this you up. You can practically bit. time it. It's like, okay, it's been six minutes and something jumped out and killed somebody. Right? <laughs> it, it just, like, it, it's just like not even, like, how would you put it? Like, it feels fixed. Like, that's exactly what it was. I, I put it this way. I was watching it with my wife. She's falling asleep partway through it. That's not good. And she's at that stage where it's like, is she going to finish or is she just going to go with that? <laughs> she's like, how long is left? And I was like, half an hour. Throw a number out there. Yeah. Go and check. It's exactly like 32 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the only way it was because I watch enough shitty movies to have this concept of like, okay, there's six more victims. It's going to take about X amount of time for him to kill these, and there will probably be two left. Well, it's, yeah. the, it's the slasher movie uh, Egg Timer. Yeah. Um, the old, old school slasher movies like from the 80s, um, there was almost like a mandate from, from the studio that somebody got to die every 10 minutes or there got to be boobs. It's like one or the other every ten minutes. Carpenter actually defied that. Uh, he did boobs first, and somebody died within the first well, five minutes. He he was before that. He was <laughs> like he he was the the classy grandpa who like who got the ball rolling, and then was like, oh shit, what are the kids doing to my masterpiece? <laughs> uh, but yeah, the thing thing two is very much on the slasher movie Egg Timer, where it feels very formulaic, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like I said, even the behavior of the thing, like we get generic like monster movie behavior from this thing that thing one didn't have because it was creating the path as it as it laid it out in front of itself like it's a very uniquely structured movie in a lot of ways i guess what i'm getting at is like i don't know what what makes thing one with its i you said slow start how is that more engaging than i'm assuming a a little bit more action i think a lot of it has to do with the dog sequence um, okay. So the first like yeah, half hour of the movie is all just tension building. We don't know what the fuck is going on. We don't. We know there's an We're alien spaceship. Forth, we still yeah. haven't seen an alien. We know something horrific happened to the neighboring camp, mm-hmm. but we've only seen the aftermath. And then we see this dog stalking around, and we know that someone was shooting at it. Mm-hmm. So we're. We're creating all these shadows. We're creating all these these ghosts and shadows in our own mind before we get to see anything horrific in this movie. And when it finally happens, it 
fucking happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it does that dog up. sequence is incredible. Yeah, it is really good, and it's it's very upfront. Like they they make the most of that moment where it's it's kind of like the the big reveal of Jaws, where it's like they needed that one shot of the shark breaking the surface and then the chief rearing back and realizing we're going to need a bigger boat. We are going to need a bigger boat. Um, they knocked it out of the park. And what's most important about the initial attack sequence of, of any monster movie is that it sets the stakes. It's like with Deep Rising. We got to see a man melted yeah. <laughs> in front of our eyes. But we didn't really get to see that throughout the rest of the movie. No. But that was the first one. And that sets the tone. That that creates those shadows in our mind. And it makes it makes the violence more intense, even mm -hmm. if it's not on the screen, because we're projecting onto it. Okay, well maybe, so what's keeping us, if you're watching the thing for the first time, that's what's keeping you engaged, is you're trying to figure out what this is. Well, yeah. But I'm saying, going back and re-watching it, it's just as engaging for me. And I don't... I think it's, a lot of it has to do with the characters. I could, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, they all have every single guy is so distinct. This and is very true. that's something that's lacking in Thing too. Oh, so yeah. maybe character development is just not there. Well, and it's not even development; it's just quality of performance. Like there's, like the amount of dialogue in Thing One is minimal, yeah. especially in the early goings. But we learn so much about these characters just by watching them in in their relaxed mm -hmm. mood. And, and I think that sense of like they're isolated. They've they're like brothers. They've all had to work around each other. They've all been sleeping in the same quarters. They've all been just and they're all they, tired this and surly. Is, these guys are actually different. I'm gonna I'm gonna art. Uh, yeah, we have a scene in Thing Two where they're all dancing and singing and jolly and stuff. Whereas Thing One, I think they're like overdue or something for rotation. Like they they're yeah, tired. They're clearly just over it. Yeah. in general. Um, I was. As you know, um, in the Navy, so yes. I've spent time in those <laughs> quarters with people, and I I got the sense it's actually funny. I saw a couch in their rec room. I'm like, we had the exact same couch, <laughs> we had the, same, had the exact same thing. Um, no, the the vibe that they have, and you just pointed it out to me. I realize it now. They have that we've been here together for seven months, and you learn everybody's habits, and you just know it's like a brother. Basically, you just know what they're gonna do. Yeah, and yeah, like the way they interact with each other is oh, just it's like I know how that guy sighs, and I grip my teeth every time he does it. Yeah, it's because I know what's coming. I know he's going to do it. <laughs> they know each other intimately. Like they're everybody's. You've already spent. You get so bored where you just learn everybody else's life like, story. Hey, hey, Dallas, ask me one more time. How about them cowboys? <laughs> one more time. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was that that story you told me about your cousin? Like, and you would tell somebody else. I he told me this story about his cousin. You just know everything about everybody, and. Now that you mentioned it, I get that vibe from that now. I can I can see that. Because that's how it is. You just know everything <laughs> about everybody. Everything. Ooh. Oh, but yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Thing two, like I said, too, they're just too competent and have no personality. Like, they figure out almost immediately, how do we fight this thing? Thing they, one, I mean, you're, the whole time it's like, they clear. they look like they're scrambling. I'll say that. Like, the whole time it's just like... Well, what are we fucking doing? Like, interesting, because now that I'm getting that vibe from them in, in Thing 1, I'm wondering if they had to actually spend time with each other. I didn't read any of the notes. Like, these guys all had to spend uh, what, six weeks together. I, just, think, I think they did when they're doing pre-production stuff. That's smart. That's a really good idea. And, I'm, and I'm, I seem to remember the dog handler guy made it a point to stay separate. Okay. Oh, so interesting. His role was very important in that movie. It he was very he was, the, he was the red herring that paid off. 
Yeah, because that that he gets he, he gets, gets shot, shot for no reason. And Keith yeah. David's like, that makes you a murderer. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a Franco to beans. I have him written down as Keith Frank and Frank or beans. Keith Frank or beans. And then you'll you'll get this one. Uh, Kurt Hollow Hollow. Fuck it, Russell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, McCready was sorely missed in a thing, too. Like, Kurt Russell is just a force of nature when it comes to charisma. <laughs> the I mean, man is yeah, yeah, fuck you, too! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that sequence in the movie is maybe one of the dumbest parts of the movie, because you can tell they're just like, let's wrap it up. Like, we got, I don't know what else to do with this monster. Let's just blow it up. Mm-hmm. And but that that line and just his attitude at that point is whatever, <laughs> just go away. Um, what would you say is your favorite movie death from this one? Um, I'm just That's tough. I'll throw yeah. mine out there. Yeah, you you get the ball rolling. I'm gonna say Norris, Norris's death, which I think is probably the most iconic. Like is that the arms? That's the when we get the spider head, basically. Right, but are you talking about the guy who died or the guy who thinged? The guy who thinged out. Okay. Because <laughs> you know a, di- a man died right before that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not the Oh, arms. not the doc. Not, not okay. the doc. Um, no. Because that was pretty cool, too. <laughs> um, I I do really like the, the guy uh, that gets the first one to get caught on, like, set on fire, the one that screams. I think that's a really cool scene. Yeah. But I think Norris's death is really good because it has a lot. Like, they did a lot of different components. Oh, yeah. No, that, there's a reason that sequence is placed in the film where it is. Mm-hmm. It's because that's like... So we had the dog to get the ball rolling, and then we had that to, like, raise the bar, where it's like... And that's also the sequence that leads to the blood test. Mm-hmm. The separation of his head from his body is what yeah. Kurt Russell, McCready, that's how he figures out that, oh, it was doing that as a means of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It can do that. Yeah, it can separate components of itself and still survive. I, so that's I, very important from a from a structural standpoint too. I would agree with you completely because to me that was the one that really takes it to another level of creepiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. That that's another criticism of Thing Two is that it always looks like a thing. Like mm-hmm. I say, it reminds me of just shit from Resident Evil. It's like it's it's got it's some fleshy elements and some claws, but really not a defined thing it, it's just creepy looking or mm-hmm. this one it's like you said it starts with the dog but but that moment when you get the spider head is when it takes this whole nother level this what the fuck is like, this? i don't this i don't even know what i'm looking at at this point yeah at this point it's like it can take any form and it just gets gnarlier and gnarlier each time Whoa. and it sets you up for the final form too where it's kind of like how is it going to one-up this and yeah. it's like oh <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean with the dog too like there's there's portions of its body that like are just undefinable where it's mm-hmm. like there's like a giant eyeball that unveils at some point and like it's peeled back in layers it looks like a flower oh, yeah. like opening up right and it's not at all humanoid in any sense yeah. <laughs> like it's not mammalian it's just <laughs> other whereas thing two too many of the designs retain the shape of the human body mm-hmm. like the structure like the bone structure and, and like the shape of a human body whereas thing one it's just like all bets are off just like it can contort and like change itself into any shape it wants the, the another and, and i don't mean to always be shitting on things i know it, <laughs> it's actually it not across because it's it's not a terrible no movie. it's just when compare if you compare it yeah you can't i, I mean it. essentially you're comparing my favorite horror movie of all time to a movie that's essentially a remake that didn't need to exist. Yeah. That's my issue. Nobody wanted it. Yeah. So, 
another component to it is thing two actually the creature is almost you almost feel bad for it in a weird sort of like maybe it's just a stoner thought kind of thing <laughs> but just in in the sense that like in the thing it's clearly just this fucking predator that can just wipe out this whole encampment and that's really all it seems to care about mm. thing two it, it they took it out of the snow. Mm. It was frozen in ice. They bring it back. It escapes. And yeah, it goes around. It kills them and shit. But it almost comes across like it's like, what is it motivated by? Is it trying to escape? Is it lost and like secluded? And that's just its reaction to survive? Like, it, it almost makes you not sympathize with it. Because it's still an evil yeah. monster. But... It has because they introduce this element of like motivation to it. You're no longer as terrified of it. You're kind of wonder. It's like maybe it just takes their form because it's studying them, or maybe that's just its purpose. Is well, maybe it, it doesn't have a form and that's how it exists. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like maybe it's just trying to assimilate and just that's how it, it functions. And you know, if they just stop hunting it, well, yeah. it would leave them alone. <laughs> well, like, and, and the oh, that's interesting. The ending of thing two definitely has that weird sympathetic vibe to it like joel edgerton is our final thing in the movie besides the dog um he gets found out by mary elizabeth winstead and they're pre they're preparing to leave the spaceship together in the in the arctic cat vehicle she notices he doesn't have his earring anymore and they actually have a brief conversation and it was actually showed some skillful restraint on the part of the director by having him not thing out mm -hmm. like he just actually says like no think about it and then she burns him and it's that's its final moment and it's kind of effective where it's like like what what is this thing's purpose like it it's trying to defend itself verbally now without trying to like freak out and attack me it also tried to escape in its spaceship and they it basically <laughs> tracked it down yeah. to <laughs> blow it up with a hand grenade so in thing one he's building the spaceship he's he's trying to build well, a and spaceship in thing one it's its intent was like inarguably malevolent because mm -hmm. like um when they found the the double-headed corpse and stuff mm -hmm. and uh when when baldy when he's in mid-transformation mm -hmm. um the, there's a lot of sequences in that portion of the film where the thing is trying to uh unite with the corpses uh, with its other bodies basically mm -hmm. it's trying to create just a mass of flesh it's never allowed to do that until the end of the film where we get the giant thing but it's very clearly, it has an intent where it's mm. like, it wants to be us! It wants to be, wants to be all of us, basically. So it, it's, it's like a disease that's trying to spread and it, it exists to become everything. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen Slither. James Gunn. We, we talked about him actually earlier. I guess. I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> I anyway, James, James Splice, Gunn. Slither, and Species. I get yeah, all mixed yes. up. <laughs> like, you have seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Correct. Um, James Gunn seems to have a preoccupation with this concept of uh, some alien presence trying to spread its seed and become everything. Gotcha. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, very explicitly Kurt Russell. Very much. Kurt Russell. Ego. Yeah. Ego. Appropriate name. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's trying to spread his seed across... All of existence. He and Slither, to, kind of the same concept, but on a smaller scale. He tried to shoulder shrug his way out of giving his mom cancer. Like, yeah, he's like, <laughs> he I'm sorry. Like, yeah, well, but sorry. it's Kurt Russell, so I you're kind of like, you kind of want to give it to him. Yeah. It's 
like, yeah, you know. <laughs> she probably had it. Coming. Yeah, you know, she she probably had it. Coming. She had it. Coming. <laughs> He's like, Jeez. come on, man. That's like his default position. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought it was up for grabs. I didn't know you were saving it. <laughs> no, but it, it's... I, I just feel like in Thing 2, like, you almost got the sense that, like, it really just wanted to be left the fuck alone and go back to its home world or just wherever the hell that ship takes it. Um, yeah, it, it's not the same feeling of dread that mm-hmm. you get from the Thing of... Yeah, and whatever it ends up doing after it kills everybody, it's going to be not good. <laughs> you mentioned that they figure it out really quick in Thing 2. How they figured out in Thing 1 about what it's doing is that Wilford Brimley is like, the dogs were all messed up, and he asks, um, he's from It and Encino Man, I can't think of the actor's name, but he's the one that gets shot in the head, the, the dog no. handler. Yeah. Uh, he asks, like, how long were you with that dog? Like, He's like, coming from a doctor's standpoint, like this could be a, like a contag- like contagious, whatever it was. Like, yeah. how long were you alone with it? Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So he's starting to piece it. Like, like maybe no, this thing is. They did in- that in thing too, where okay. the, the evil doctor guy has some moments where he never explicitly is shown figuring things out. See, Wilford Brimley explicitly like figures it out because mm-hmm. he's the one looking under the microscope all the time. Yeah, and he sees the cells and he does his. Autopsy. Really embarrassing computations where he's like hunting and pecking on his his Atari keyboard. No, his like whatever. Anyway, he does his computations and he's like, "How long before total infection?" And the computer just knows. It just it just knows he's fucked. And he's like, "Hmm, I better." Get my revolver and a fire axe. <laughs> it's like, this is the solution to this problem. <laughs> when he's asked to do the autopsy, he just kind of does, well, I reckon. Like, I can do yeah. that. But really, it's like, what did, Satan did this. That's what, that's yeah. what did this. Why yeah. would I do an autopsy He's looking this? at this burnt, mangled corpse that is two corpses just fused together. And his reaction is just, Okay. <laughs> no, I'm calling everybody. We have to yeah. get out of here now. Something's no, happening. That, wanted to be us Kyle <laughs> that scene just makes you laugh so hard when he's locked himself in and the little Walton Goggins guy is on the ground like he got his face bashed in by Wilford Brimley oh, yeah. I don't, they don't show what he did to him but you know he laid him the fuck out like, he's, he knows how to put his weight behind him yeah <laughs> he's got himself locked in the control room he's like smashing the radio and just yeah. ranting <laughs> And then Kurt Russell <laughs> runs in with the table. That was a good move. That was a smart move. And then he gives him the overhand right in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like he beat the shit, shit out of that old man. <laughs> Stop it, old man. <laughs> so, I, I I mean, this kind of turned into picking apart the 2011. It yeah. Get to it, but it, it can't emphasize enough, though. It's actually a competent film. It's just... It, it's incomparable. To what preceded it. Yeah. Well, and also, I think that's why we jokingly have been calling it Thing 2 this whole time. Because literally, if you just do that, it's a fine film on its own. Yeah. The fact that you had the audacity to just call it The Thing mm-hmm. and pitch it like it's this important part of understanding the original movie. Like, like it's said, fucked. There's, like, there's too many convenient, like, there's too many conveniences in the story. Like, I can't emphasize enough. White American guy with a beard who is a pilot with his black plane <laughs> identical to the other camp many miles away. Oh yeah, and they also get lost in the woods. Or they get lost in the in the snow and come back. Huh. Mm-hmm. Just like McCready did. Yeah. It's like it's, it's just too many instances where it's, where it's winking at you seemingly because it feels like it's obligated to. 
You, I mean, like yeah, if you ahead. if you untethered it from the baggage of of that first film, it would be fine. That's my thought about Hannibal Rising, um, which I think is an okay movie. Uh, I don't think it needs to be tied in with Hannibal Lecter at all. Like it right. could stand alone as just a cannibal. Like the studio's a cannibal. You might even like it better if you remove that component. Exactly. Just make it Absolutely. A serial killer movie rather than yeah. you know. Yeah. A prequel. <laughs> One of the sequences in the in the the thing too, actually, that really killed killed it for me. Now going back to when you were describing the set design, that the thing that took me out of it was there's a sequence where I forget her name in it. Um, Mary uh, Elizabeth Winstead. There you Kate, go. Kate, I think. Kate. Scott sure. Pilgrim. She's from Scott Pilgrim. That's all. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth. Mary Elizabeth. Well, there's a sequence when the helicopter takes off immediately after they first have encountered the thing, and she realizes that. It's still alive, and she runs out to go flag it down to keep them from flying off. And she runs out, and she's literally in a sweater and jeans. Yeah. In the middle of Antarctica. Yeah. Incorrect. And she's just standing there. For, she's out there for, like, 20 minutes, just, like, waving at this <laughs> helicopter. And, like, to the point where, like, Joel Edgerton, like, even, like, acknowledged her. He's like, hey, she's waving at us. Maybe we should land. Like, it's a long <laughs> sequence of her just standing yeah. there. And even when they end up, the thing things out and they crash, she's stupid, still the out there. She's not reacting to the cold at all. And that was one of the things where... Again, the isolation factor of the thing where it's like you realize it's like you can only be below. outside. Yeah. yeah. He says it's be, 40 below out there. Get your cold gear on. You can't run away from this damn thing. You yeah. try to run, you're going to die within minutes. Like yeah. That's not something they and, address in 2011, the, the second thing. This like She literally just is standing out there watching this <laughs> helicopter. She must have been listening to her <laughs> survival thing. If you wave your hands, that means I don't need help. You're supposed to stand still like this. Yes, <laughs> land. I need you to land. Right. Well, yeah. No. She glossed over that. No, apparently, those, uh, those guidelines on the, on the set of thing one were important. Mm-hmm. It was like if you let go of that, you're going to be lost because mm-hmm. it's nothing but just yeah. Well, and that's what was terrifying. It's like even to get to point A to point yeah. B, it's every like, time oh, they went we outside. Yeah. yeah. Versus in this one, they just kind of run from encampment to, like barracks to barracks, just kind of like, oh, we need supplies, we need bullets, let's run over here. And it's like. They ne- like you never see most of the time they're all wearing like sweaters and jeans. Like, yeah, there's a lot of scenes of them just like running around outdoors, not really doing much. Like yeah, they're just kind of milling about. There's only a couple of sequences where they're really like bundled up and, well, and the, like there's repetition in the script of a storm coming. It's yeah. Like, oh, we we gotta hurry up because there's a storm coming. But when it comes, it doesn't really feel like an element. Like especially from a visual standpoint, like it feels like oh, it's just dark. Like, I don't see any howling wind or like any danger or it's like oh we can't go outside we'll get we'll get blown over it's just safer like it, do, it doesn't have that sense of dread and that sense of isolation that the first one definitely had yeah but I think that adds to it it's like that concept where it's like you don't have the luxury of even trying to just run make a break for it well like, I mean because you will die from the elements yeah thing, thing one I mean I think it's appropriate that it's part of something that the director thinks of as an apocalypse trilogy because mm. by the time you get to the end of that story there is potential for it to be just that yeah potential yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say they died I think they froze to death uh, I'm just I mean there was still fire but he even says it's gonna burn out pretty soon like yeah don't they reveal who was the thing in, yeah, in no, the game in the video game it's Kurt Russell oh god damn it yeah no it's like literally the first thing you encounter <laughs> is Keith David's corpse like just sitting there where they were sitting and... well hang on I thought McCready came back at the end of the game 
Like, was it a double switch or something? Jeez. Possibly. I mean, there's G-Men in that game, too, so it's just like, whatever. Like, <laughs> we're off the rails. I, I guess, like, going back and talking about it now, I guess the attention to detail is what to take away from the thing. Uh, from every standpoint. Like, the actual story to uh, makeup effects, like, and just the little things like that. Like, it's 40 below. Like, there's, like, a storm coming. Whatever. We can't be out here for very long. And it adds to the sense that they're, it's hopeless, almost. Are I we... think that, and also just, we, we touched on it, but just having an estab- having a unique creative concept of this alien that John Carpenter, it's all his, mm. versus now a second person coming in and trying to draw from the canon that's been established. And not rip off. And at the same honestly, time. probably respecting it too much to the point yeah. where they don't want to really... Ex- yeah change much they want it to be respectable and and honor the original but it doesn't work we know that from watching like the predator movies and alien movies it's like you you can only dole out the same shit at a certain point you gotta just do something completely fucking different otherwise it's boring like yeah and this was kind of boring i mean when because it was so similar one of the one of the key phrases i keep rolling over in my mind when it comes to covering these franchise movies Mm -hmm. like these endless sequels that we've been getting in recent years is a it fails to justify its existence i'm very lenient when it comes to watching bad films like i can i can get value the dark backward (laughs) we found value somehow we got we got value out of the dark backward uh nothing but trouble i got something out of that i got some pretty awesome sets and designs and stuff I can stomach bad films. It's not a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. What I have issue with is a story that fails to justify its existence. And that's exactly what Thing 2 suffers from. Is that everything we need to know about the Norwegian camp was shown to us in its aftermath in the first half hour of Thing 1. Mm-hmm. And showing me the details of all that, I didn't gave, that. added nothing. In mm-hmm. fact, it detracted in a lot of ways. And I would argue that like we we touched on it but the whole reason these movies exist is to introduce it to a newer generation that has a shorter attention span needs things to be not as dark they don't like shadows they don't like ominous soundtracks they like it to be very obvious you know i I get it but all i was going to say is just that like with this one it it, i feel like i could scare the fuck out of a kid still (laughs) if i sat him down and show him the original and that's the thing. Horror movies are typically targeted towards teenagers. That's right, that, right. that's the horror genre. And I think you say that this movie didn't do well. Uh, and I think that's why is because this probably wasn't marketed to no, that thing age one, group. Thing one is not a movie that you take a gal to if this you was, want to get in her pants. This was probably marketed like Lincoln. Like this is for dad. <laughs> this is a dad movie. Like oh, Kurt Russell's in a movie in Antarctica. It's, it's, it's some man shit. Let's go watch this. What the fuck? <laughs> Is this supposed to happen? Of all the movies that made the rounds on like, like, Joe Bob Briggs and like TNT and stuff in, mm-hmm. in the in the evening hours, the thing was the one that like, it was like that book. It was like when you're young and this movie comes on, you have this like double thought pattern going on at the same time where it's like, oh, I want to watch the thing, but then you're like, oh god, I'm not going to be able to sleep. <laughs> it's like uh, I gotta pee. Like right when the right when the defib sequence is happening. <laughs> Oh, no, I gotta go like, bathroom now. It's like the dog starts barking, and you're just like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> but that's, I, I guess, like, I think The Thing will always be my favorite horror movie, because it's still scary. Yeah, absolutely. It, it still makes me uneasy. Like, even, I can't watch it alone. I can't watch it in the dark. Like, no, it's I, not... I watch it with, with my analytical mindset, like, looking at the special effects 
as effects, as works of art. And I still get uneasy looking at some of these shots. Yeah. It's just like, fuck! <laughs> it's yeah. like... The, the, that's the one that got me this time was the him on the ground with the long hair like fuck oh, well, the sound, the sound in design in that part and, was yeah, really like, good that but the, I will say this <laughs> the worst uh, the worst effect shot in the whole movie if you ask me is uh, when the dude gets when the Walton Goggins guy gets clamped on the sides of the head so after the blood test mm-hmm. when the one guy springs up from the couch that they're tied to and his head splits and he bites the Walton Goggins guy there is a shot of a dummy oh yes it is it is so fucking Definitely. bad yeah there is a dummy it's so fucking but bad I, I appreciate them doing a dummy as opposed to trying to like CGI something I know but it's really. an embarrassing dummy yeah. and then he, he like smashes through the two inch like no like one inch wall like thick plywood wall that's supposed to be arctic insulation there's a stunt there's a stunt shot from lethal weapon one that always cracks me up when i see it when he's trying to talk the dude off the uh off the roof yeah and he's finally like do you really want to jump and he's just like we're fine jumping so they're handcuffed together at this point what happens is is it breaks off because there's just a piece of rubber or something and then they hold hands on the way down and you watch him do it breaks off and then they grab hands and fall and he's like oh fuck we only got enough money to do this once yeah it was uh, i still laugh when i like oh man you couldn't do it again you couldn't try to do that again at all yeah no and that's something that you don't get with the special effects with computers i would rather have that that that's well it it Reeks of just like let's put cool shit up on the screen. Whereas the thing, it's there with intent. It's like every shot had to be carefully choreographed and measured. Otherwise, it would look like shit. Whereas this one is just like let's put some effects on the screen. Kids like that. Well, and it it also didn't help that like you had mentioned earlier, but like the Norwegians in this one, they never bothered to flush them out. They just kind of they're just the Norwegians. But they're like almost just drones, because whatever she says, they do too. And, and like I they never from... fight with her. They, that's the other thing that's in the the thing. Like you get there's like, tension. They all yeah. There's yeah, a Keith, ton of tension. Keith David like, is on everyone's ass. Like whole, Keith whole David time. is two seconds from taking over. Like oh, yeah. I don't know how they all are. Like they each and every one of them like is no, has they, a, a legit gripe yeah, for they, how things are being handled. They put McCready outside. Oh yeah, they do. I forgot about that. They yeah. put him they, outside. I forgot they put him outside. Whereas stupid fucking helicopter crash another instance of thing too just like going ape shit for no real reason it's like it, it, you're in the helicopter if it crashes you die and yeah somehow joel edgerton and the guy from the mummy returns uh the african film yes i thought so he's uh, very charismatic yeah, he's very charismatic <laughs> um they come in from the snow the horrible storm yeah they just oh, show it's up. cold out there. They yeah, really, like, oh, it's cold out there. <laughs> no, when you see Kurt Russell, he's like, oh, he's, he's white, frigid, like, yeah, and he's, he's got dying. dynamite. <laughs> he's fucking dying. That's yeah, no, he comes in with dynamite because he doesn't know what he doesn't know if he's going to be well received or not. So he forces his way back in. They don't want him there. <laughs> uh, I guess we kind of wrap up from here. We've we pretty much gone through, but I, I think I mean, we could do this all night. Yeah, we yeah, could. We may as well wrap it. But I think. One of the reasons why this is still great is the makeup effects, and Absolutely. I was trying to I was trying to articulate why I like makeup effects, even if they're bad, just for makeup effects' sake, and not doing CGI, which is we're completely reliant on now. Um, well, which makes the, for me the Jurassic World movies unwatchable. Well, Jura- funny you mentioned Jurassic World. They did the same special effects techniques that they did in Thing Two, where there actually were dinosaur props. 
mm-hmm. dinosaur animatronics that were built for that film. Mm-hmm. You don't see them because they're covered in CGI paint. Mm. So, I, like, when Chris Pratt is doing his stuff with the raptor and stuff, when he's, like, touching its head, mm-hmm. there's an actual prop there that, prop. that's detailed and looks like a raptor head, but it doesn't make it to the screen. Um, I, I think it becomes an issue, like, obviously, when you got people with money making mm-hmm. decisions, um, especially when they've paid a lot of money to hold a CGI company on retainer, they're going to use it. But uh, in addition to that, too, since it's a new technology... There's also that secondary part that like we don't understand because we don't run these circles yeah. with these wealthy folk that there is a, a dick measuring component <laughs> where, I mean, yeah. seriously, where it's like, like... It looks better, yeah. They have private awards for like best you know, like creature effect and bet they have all these banquets where you get acknowledged for paying the money to have these things. Or you have like the Michael Bay Transformers. Oh, we had the biggest fucking dynamite explosion yeah. ever. It was a terrible movie, but we have the record for... One month on Guinness Book of World Records for biggest explosion. Only so. to be topped I'm, the next year by the same guy. <laughs> I'll blame Peter Jackson. I, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. I think I'm just going to blame him. Like, oh, you can totally win awards and make a billion dollars off doing all CGI. I'm like, hey, hey, that's, hey, hey. Don't, no, I'm going to stop you. Go for it. Um, that's actually the secret brilliance of, of those movies. I'm uh, no. Go. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not knocking him. I'm a huge LTO. Go for it. <laughs> the neck beard activates. <laughs> it had to happen at some point. Oh, and what's man. funny is I don't even like Lord of the Rings. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'll say that right now. I don't even really like those movies at all. Thank God we don't have a social media presence, <laughs> buddy, or but, anybody listening. But you are very wrong. Is is why I need to stop you for. <laughs> all right, go for it. Um, the Lord of the Rings movies, what makes them precious as film artifacts is that every trick in the book was used in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, camera trickery was used, just like lensing and prop and prop building and careful blocking of acting performances was used to create the height discrepancy between the hobbits and the humans. Mm-hmm. Um, tons of miniature work. Uh, they didn't go so far as to use like stop motion and stuff, but when you look at Dead Alive... Mm-hmm. Think of the wide range of special effects they used in that movie. They used the same like foreshortening technique for the the giant mom at the end. Yeah, that that wasn't a giant. Oh problem. yeah, I know you can absolutely tell. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of the same thing with thing one. There's even there's like one shot of stop motion in the movie. Mm. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> like, whereas now it's like everything's mostly CGI. But no, the Lord of the Rings movies they did everything. I'm saying there was a lot of CGI. There's a lot of CGI. I, I would agree. The one argument I would say is just the fact that they filmed so much on location mm-hmm. and there were so many shots of them just walking in New Zealand or where. The ones I would argue that fucked it all up are the Marvel films because now you've created a thing because it's so CGI reliant where these actors can who are usually busy and a lot of actors fuck things up because of their schedules. Like, Look at uh, Mission Impossible with uh, Henry Cavill or what? <laughs> the must. Oh yeah, he brought the, it up. The digital mustache, but yeah. that was because like he was committed to Mission Impossible, and they wouldn't let him shave to do Superman and you know Donna Justice or whatever. Justice League. Justice League. But my point is that like Marvel has created this thing where everything's green screen now, so these guys can. It's like, oh, are you free for an hour on this day? Yeah. Cool. Now we just got. Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he well, just filmed all his sequences in front of this green screen, and now we let the nerds fucking create yeah. this background. Yeah, I mean that that whole airport sequence in Civil War. I'm 
I want to say most of those actors were not in the same room with each other during their respective scenes. But that's what I'm saying is compare that to the thing where mm-hmm. it's a bunch of guys thrown together in an encampment in a cold part of Canada. Yeah. And of course they're going to develop these... And those person- Marvel movies are developed on a schedule. So it's like CGI is faster. Like you can fake your way through right. shitty shots. And it doesn't help that they've adapted all the characters that essentially be heightened exaggerations of said actors. Yeah, so, so the physics really of these even, characters don't need to be realistic, so the care in animating them doesn't necessarily have to be Or true even to just life. the acting, I was saying. Like Tony Stark is just Yeah. Know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a voiceover with not us, actually with a, yeah. acting. It's just a guy being himself. Yeah. Like, but Henry Cable, oh, yeah. you you had something you wanted to say about him. Yeah, uh, I know you don't watch it. I was gonna like maybe Matt watch it. Do you watch Archer by any chance? I have not, but okay. I have been told by countless people I should. So I was Me too. I was thinking about <laughs> it today. Yeah, I've been telling you for a while. Um, so Archer's thread is that he is a special agent who, or he's a spy. Sorry, he's a spy, and he's so cocky and arrogant and confident. That he should be he should be dead at this point. Like he's just screwed up so many times, but he comes out on the other side, and that's why everybody hates him. He's like, how the fuck did you do that? Like he's just kind of like Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow. He just comes out on the other side unscathed. See, so <laughs> you know, we were talking about Henry uh, Cavill and how he's like when they jump out in a uh, Mission Impossible, he comes out and he's like, pass <laughs> out. I'm like, that's Archer. He's <laughs> his character is Archer. He would have that same confidence going into a fight in the bathroom, like, I'm going to fuck this guy up. <laughs> he beats the shit out of him, but still comes out on top. And it's I want to rewatch that Mission Impossible movie even more now, because I'm just going to picture him as Archer. And well, it's kind of mean. Like, the same, same could be said for his career. <laughs> it's like, he's just so handsome. He's not very good, but he keeps getting these roles. <laughs> I did have one last uh, thought on the makeup effects. Now, I said that I like makeup effects for just, like, sake. Like, you did it. You spent the time to actually do this. And I think that's true for the 80s. Um, maybe a little bit of the 90s. I can't think of any um, any examples off the top of my head in the 90s as far as horror goes. But I think in the 2000s that went a little too far. And that's where we have the torture genre, uh, Hostel, uh, Saw, where... The, the makeup effects are too good, and they're like, oh, we're we're going to really explore this now. Uh, I had to walk out of the second remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because well, it was just I've heard too that. brutal. What started to happen was, um, I don't know, the, the makeup effects in like the 80s and the 90s had almost like a irreverent like enthusiasm to them, mm-hmm. where it's like, yes, these are being engineered to frighten and upset in some <laughs> yeah. instances, but not to the extent that we saw in like the 2000s and stuff where instead of creating imaginative and, and crazy things and like like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something, it's exaggerated. Mm. Like the gore in Total Recall, for instance. Mm. Like when people get shot, generally they don't explode with jello, <laughs> yeah. but it looks cool on film, so let's do it that way. Whereas There's like, still an element where we know this isn't happening. Whereas like Hostel and Saw, it's like now we're making a commitment to try to make it look more authentic. Yes. And now we have the tools to actually do that. And they probably had those tools all, all along, it's just the intent wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It's like we're not trying to show people that because it's uncomfortable and it's yeah. not entertaining. <laughs> we don't want to it, show It's that. a point for another time, yeah. but, um, yeah. but I was going to say I, I agree with you completely because I've felt the same way with video games lately too yeah that as the graphics get better and as they uh have kind of developed more and been allowed to have more creative freedom they're starting to reach a level where it's like when is it going to be too much yeah i mean you already 
I've seen glimpses of that with like the last Grand Theft Auto with the torture sequence and things. I don't know if you played that one, but nah. there was a big controversial sequence that you can't skip oh. where you literally have to torture a guy. Oh, really? And it's like Reservoir For Dogs. For Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, it's like Reservoir Dogs level. Like Eesh. you literally like cut them up, you light them on fire, you like, and you can't, sk- you have to do every wow. part of it. And he, he's totally just like a security guard. Like, you're just trying to get, like, info from him. Like, yeah, only mm. three billion teenagers have played that game. Exactly. So it, That has no influence Well, that's a, that's a series whatsoever. that's thrived on being violent. Like, But it was cartoonish. But it was generally cartoonish. Yeah, and yeah. even the rest of the theme of that game is pretty cartoony. It's just this one sequence that you mm. just are forced to go through. And so... Again, we'll, we'll discuss that at length, yeah. I'm sure, someday, because that's a... That's an interesting topic. I actually like that. But, but yeah, I, I'm with you on that in a way, too, because I, I feel like the thing actually was kind of like the peak for horror and that I can't picture you doing much more with those effects without it being too much. Yeah. Like, I, that's a bit, that's a bit it. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think, I think we're about wrapped up on the thing. And the thing before the thing. 